If you're having trouble maintaining your emotional resilience, you are not alone. There's a reason BetterHelp exists. And if you're looking for a counseling solution that fits your lifestyle, this may be exactly what you need. Get 10% off your first month by going to betterhelp.com forward slash brain. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P, dot com forward slash brain. Life presents the toughest challenges. Every day you are faced with decisions that test your ability to express who you really want to be in this world. We're told to keep saying affirmations and keep thinking positively, but what do you do when that stuff doesn't work? Welcome to the Overwhelmed Brain, where you'll learn to make decisions that are right for you so that you can create the life you want now. Hello, welcome to the show. My name is Paul Coliani, and I'm here to help you increase your emotional intelligence so that you can avoid dysfunction, handle toxic situations with grace and ease, and show up as your authentic self. Everything I talk about on this show is my personal opinion and is meant for informational and educational purposes only. Always consult a medical or psychological professional before making any changes that could affect your physical or mental health. I received an email a while back. Uh, I'm going to have actually two emails in this episode, and uh, I might be able to tie them together because <laughs> they're two different subjects, but I'm pretty good at tying things together. We'll see by the second segment. Um, the first email is from someone, uh, another, I'm not going to say her name, but uh, she says, Hello, I'm married to a wonderful man. However, we've been plagued by his brother's addiction problems, and uh, he's been in and out of jail several times for domestic abuse and violating a protection order. He's back in jail as of now. My problem is he worked for the family business until recently. My in-laws are and have always been enablers. They pay his mortgage when he's spent all his money on drugs and alcohol. They threaten rehab, but nothing ever sticks, and they still allow him to remain in contact and come to their house. They even have custody of his child. Uh, This is causing so much stress to the point I no longer want to go to my in-laws as they are helping to enable this entire mess. Can you please help? So thank you so much for sharing that. And that's a tough question. You know, when you are around people that you know are doing the quote wrong thing, or at least your perception of what they're doing is wrong, it is very difficult to get past your own judgments, your own evaluation, your own values, to accept what you see and accept how other people are. And so my response to this, my opinion on this, it might be a little harsh uh, because I have an opinion that the way other people live their lives is not your business. Now, <laughs> don't attack me because I understand how that sounds because if somebody's doing something clearly wrong or destructive, there's a point where, yeah, you might have to step in. You might have to talk to the person or call the authorities if it's really bad. But really, I like to live my life, and this is kind of the message I'm sharing today. When somebody is living their lives in a way that doesn't agree with you, Why does that stress you out to the point where you can't even function or you can't be happy because of what they're doing with their lives? Again, 
I'm not saying that this is a good thing. I wish that we could all just say, hey, look, you're doing the wrong thing, and then people would listen. And I know this is kind of an odd time to bring this up because people who are doing the wrong thing, you know, we have the protesting going on regarding the killing of George Floyd, and uh, that is absolutely an injustice that needs to be taken care of, that needs to go through the system, and people need to be accountable and things have to change. I totally agree. So when you hear me talk about if you see somebody doing something wrong, just let them live their lives. I'm not talking about that. I'm not talking about people breaking the law. I'm not talking about uh, social injustice. Those are all extremely important, and it's about time for a change. And it should have been a change many, many decades ago, but it's happening now. So I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about when you have extended family in this case, that is doing something that you completely disagree with, you don't like, you know is unhealthy, you know is toxic, that they're not directly affecting you, you're just allowing it into your psyche. You have to be careful how you include other people's issues into your life. Again, in this particular example, this is where I'm going with this. You have an extended family that has issues that are dealing with the issues in their own way. And somebody might say, well, they're not even dealing with the issues at all. They're enabling. Yes, that's what you said. And they very likely are enabling that behavior from that person. Well, there's not much you can do until the enabler wants to change. And the enabler typically doesn't change until it gets to the point where they can't do it anymore or they can't handle it. But it has to be a self-realized change. It has to be a self-empowered change, typically. Yes, it's possible to convince an enabler that they are enabling and there's no way that uh, every time they save this person's butt that uh, the person's going to change. And so the enabling parties will never learn because they think or they hope or they wish that this other person will change, but they never do. So they continue the cycle of enabling and the person never gets help. Now, let me back up a little bit. I totally agree that when you enable someone, they will probably not ever want to get help. And just so I know this audience is the most brilliant audience in podcast land, but just in case there's one or two people out there that doesn't know what enabling is, I look at it this way. Enabling is when you make it easier for someone to do toxic behavior or unhealthy behavior. That's not the official definition, but that's the one I'm using for this episode. Enabling is when you make it easier for someone to do toxic or unhealthy behavior. And uh, when you do that, the person that you want to change, because it often involves uh, someone that does behavior that you don't want them to do anymore, uh, when you want them to change, enabling helps prohibit change. So not only does it help them do the behavior, it also prohibits change. So if someone is excessively drinking or taking drugs and you want them to stop because they're addicted and when they're addicted, they do uh, unhealthy things for them, for themselves, for their loved ones, for their friends, whatever, then enabling behavior might be they crash their car 
and you may tell them that, hey, you know what, you should probably stop taking drugs or you should probably stop drinking or at least don't drink and drive. And they say, yeah, yeah, you're right. Uh, the enabler who typically loves that person will feel bad enough that they don't have a car and go get them another car. That might be a little bit extreme, but that's what happens is, is that the enabler will clean up that person's messes. For example, my mom would clean up after my stepfather every time he smashed a drinking glass. He would throw it across the room. Or one day he threw a bunch of eggs in the kitchen all over the ceiling and the walls. Do you know what it's like to clean up dried egg? <laughs> it is not fun. This was many, many years ago when they were married. But she enabled his behavior because he would pass out and then when he would wake up it would be all clean and he wouldn't have to deal with any of the destruction that he created so his behavior really never had consequences he could do the bad behavior and somebody else would clean up after him imagine if he couldn't remember what he did which he probably couldn't then he would never have known that he threw a glass or a bunch of eggs or kicked a hole in the wall or whatever he did donuts on the lawn, for example, like he did with his truck one day, although he did see that. But most of this stuff he didn't see because it was cleaned up. It was taken care of. And when somebody else takes care of the person who's addicted, or at least takes care of uh, their destruction, you know, cleans up after them or makes up for the bills they can't pay, then the person who's doing the destruction never experiences accountability and will never have that inkling of learning that they need to be able to change, or at least to compel them to change. And without a compelling reason to change, people usually stay the same, addiction or not. People usually stay the same unless there's a compelling reason to change. The problem is when somebody's addicted or they are doing bad behavior and they won't stop, addicted or not, then they're even less likely to change unless there's something big that happens that totally makes them have a, an epiphany and make the changes they need to make. And, you know, of course, addiction, we can look at it as a disease or something that is near impossible to control. And you definitely need professional counseling or assistance in this case. Certainly, there are all kinds of avenues to take with addiction. But in a nutshell, enabling is, again, when you make it easier for someone to do the toxic or unhealthy behavior. So, this person who wrote to me, she sees the enabling going on, yet she's taking it on as if it's her problem, as if she's part of this, and she's getting stressed by it. So this is where my tough love comes in and says, why are you getting stressed by this family's behaviors? I understand that you know you have a connection to them and you can't stand to see their enabling behaviors, but why does it stress you out so much? I mean, that's a, a legitimate question. I mean, you might think, well, of course it stresses me out because I can't stand people letting him get away with all this because he's such a, you know, jerk or whatever. Or his addiction is so bad and he's just dangerous. Maybe you feel that way. And uh, by enabling, they're, they're making it more dangerous. So you didn't share with me exactly why you are stressed out. I mean, I understand that you might want me to infer by your message that enabling someone is a bad thing, therefore I should be stressed out about it too. But really, I think you need to define exactly what stresses you out about this. 
Because this isn't in your house, it's in someone else's house. This isn't in your immediate uh, proximity, it's in someone else's. They're dealing with it. They are choosing to enable, they are choosing the behaviors that they believe are helpful, even though we all know that enabling is usually not helpful to the person. Uh, it, it can be a placator for the moment. It can get you through a day or a week, but in the long run, it keeps the person as destructive or unhealthy or toxic. So again, what exactly is stressing you out? Now, you did mention children. Well, the good news is the enabling party has the child. So it sounds like they are kind people, and that child now has kind uh, caretakers so that's a good thing. Now the child may be learning to enable because every time he or she sees the caretakers do something to make up for the mess or clean up the mess of uh, his or her father. I'm not sure if the child's a boy or a girl, but every time he or she sees their caretakers do something for the enabler, they absorb that and think that that's how you're supposed to act in these situations. And that could be unhelpful. But still, it sounds like the child is in a good space, although you did mention that he has multiple children, and that could be a problem. So that could be your stress point, and if that was your stress point, I can understand how that would be stressful. At the same time, is he so dangerous that he's a danger to the children? Now, he might be. He might be extremely dangerous to the children, which means you may have to call someone that knows about this. You may have to call Whatever their authorities there are, I don't know what they call it, defects, or just ask them questions. You know, I'm not saying that you should call child protection or anything like that unless it's necessary. But I do believe that you need to find out exactly if it's about the children, and that's why you're so stressed. I believe that you need to find out exactly what's happening to the children. If they are in real danger and you know it, then you might have to talk to someone because now these are innocent lives that are mixed in here and it would be a problem for them it could be dangerous for them so you might have to get involved if you choose to get involved this is what i'm saying is that you need to do your research make sure the children are actually in danger do what you can to find this out and then you might have to call a professional and ask them these questions what do i do uh, how do i report this and you'll get the answers you're looking for However, if it's not about the children and it's just your annoyance or irritation that these people are enabling or you don't like to be around people that enable, then I think you're doing the right thing by not wanting to go and not maybe being there. I mean, maybe you need to keep yourself out of this toxic situation because every time you're around it, you can't handle it. The problem might be your toleration point. I'm, I'm not saying that's a problem. I mean, that's good. If you don't want to be a, around toxic stuff, you keep yourself out of that toxic situation. And hopefully your husband supports that. Hopefully your husband can say, hey, look, I understand why you don't want to go over. Don't worry about it. I'll take care of this. It's my family. I'll go over. Hopefully he will be able to take care of this and you can stay out of it because you can't handle it. Now, I don't mean to say you can't handle it and you know, you're immature or anything like that. I'm not saying that at all. Some people don't want to be around people that are just uh, toxic. And I don't want to be around my stepfather. I don't want to be around him when I see my family enabling him. I totally get, I totally relate to what you're going through. Because when my stepfather would show up at a family function, 
uh, it would be very difficult because everyone would be nice to him, including myself, because when I was younger, I didn't know how to handle these situations. So he would do something inappropriate. He would, you know, we were at a restaurant and he would say something inappropriate to the waiter or the waitress. And uh, we would all just kind of give a nervous smile and hope that he doesn't do it again or hope that he doesn't pass out or hope that he, you know, we always have these hopes that he wouldn't be an idiot. Uh, but he always was. And we were a bunch of enablers in a sense during those times because he would do something and instead of saying something, we would keep our mouths shut. And we did that because invoking any type of behavior could lead to, in my case, a violent reaction. He may yell, he may storm out, he may throw and smash his drinking glass on the wall. Imagine that in a busy restaurant. He could have done a number of things. So we kept our mouth shut. And so I want you to keep that in mind too, is that sometimes people enable because it's too dangerous to not enable. I'm not making an excuse for that. I think it should still be handled differently. I don't think enabling is the right path. I believe that someone that is that self-destructive and that unhealthy or even dangerous to be around, they need to hit bottom. They need to know that everything they do has a consequence and they have to be accountable and they have to take care of themselves. But people who love people like that often are witness and feel responsible for when those people end up in jail because they did nothing. And even worse, some enablers will witness the person they love slowly kill themselves and sometimes finish the job. And maybe not by suicide, but overdosing or drinking too much or crashing in their car when they're drunk. I mean, there's all kinds of ways it can happen, but imagine living with that. It's, it's difficult. You, you know you could probably help this person stay alive by enabling, by making it easier for that person to do the toxic behavior because you clean up their messes. But in my opinion, there has to be a point where you either get professional help or disconnect. Because even though some people can be loving and kind and caring when they're not in destruction mode, uh, like my stepfather, he's the kindest, most generous person when he wasn't being destructive. But when he was being destructive, nobody wanted to be around him, but we still had that bond with him. We still loved him, but it was so difficult because we also hated him. I always speak for myself there, but I, I can say honestly that at that time I loved him and I hated him and I didn't want him to do the things that he did. My mom always hated him. I don't think she ever loved him, at least maybe in the beginning, but uh, at least in the last 39 years, she did not love him. She hated him and she always hoped and wished and prayed and waited for him to change when he never did. And she always hoped that he would just get it. But most people like that don't get it. And most of the reason is because they haven't hit that breakdown point. They haven't hit bottom. When they hit bottom and they have no money left or they have no place to live, often they can either spring back up or go the opposite way. And that's the big mystery. They can either get their life back or die. I mean, I hate to put it so bluntly, but that is the mystery. And that's what's so hard. And that's why enablers do what they do typically. They don't want their loved one to die. They don't want their loved one to be without a car. 
They don't want their loved one to not pay the rent or not have a place to live. So they jump in because they're good people. These are kind, caring people that are doing this for someone they love. And they may even know that they're enabling. But they just want that person to live. They just want them to get through the next week, the next month. And if they can help just a little bit because they can afford to help, that's probably what you're going to see. That's probably what you're going to witness. And this is, you know, I'm hoping that all of these bullet points that I'm telling you will be enough for you to look at someone like that and not see them as bad people or dysfunctional people or only look at them as the enablers. Look at them as people that love and they don't know how to love any other way, maybe, with this particular person. And their intentions are from a place of love. And they may not be able to access tough love because tough love is letting someone fall and then they get back up by themselves. That is tough love. But it also includes a risk. And some people are not willing to take the risk. Some people don't want to risk it. Some people will say, you know what, I'd rather clean up his mess than risk him not having a place to live or even dying because he'll never take care of himself. I don't know. I mean, these are all mysteries and I'm just throwing some stuff out there and seeing what sticks for you because you're having a problem with it. And let me just give you this one last piece of advice is to remember that you have enough problems to deal with in your life than to take on someone else's. So if you don't have to be directly involved, I know he's your husband's brother, but if you don't have to be directly involved and you know you can't handle it anyway, then you have to find a way to disconnect. That could be a proximity thing, meaning you may have to distance yourself from them physically. You may have to. And hopefully, again, you have a loving, understanding husband that says, you know what, I totally understand. And this is one of those challenges in humanity is allowing people to do what they do without it upsetting us to the point where it ruins our life too. I think that's a challenge in our lives and it's also a lesson because if you really knew every single way someone could be toxic or every single family that's having problems and they're not handling it well, if you knew all the things that people do that bother you, how much would that bother you? <laughs> in other words, it's hard to watch other people's behavior that don't line up with your values, that don't make you feel good inside. It's hard to watch that behavior. But if you let someone else's behavior on what they do in their own family affect you, then what you're doing is you're ruining your own quality of life. You, you are taking your energy away from those in your family, those people that you love most, because they need you, they need your love, they need your connection, they need all of you. And when they don't get a big part of you, because it's getting sucked into some toxic situation, then they are losing out on you. And this is something I had to learn a long time ago, because things used to bother me. That person's doing what? That's bothering me, and I can't get it out of my head. Or what they did is bothering me, and I can't get it out of my head and you're always involved in other people's affairs, then your quality of life lowers and the people that you love don't get the whole you. They get the distracted you. They get the bothered you. 
and it's important to disconnect. It doesn't mean you don't love. It doesn't mean you don't care. It just means you have to keep yourself healthy. You have to keep yourself clear in your own mind, in your own head, that some people are going to live their lives in a way that you disagree with, and some people are going to learn their lessons, and yes, I'm going to say it, some people are going to die. I, I have to say that. It's true. I have to do that in my life. I know that there's a member of my family that takes a lot of drugs, and I also love this person very much. I also want this person to be healthy. I would do anything to help this person, to, to make them healthy if they wanted to. But this person doesn't want to. This person is very self-destructive. And this person is sometimes difficult to be around because when they're on drugs, when they're high, it's not enjoyable. It's not quality time. And as much as I could say or do or act in a way that I think would help them, it wouldn't because they don't want my help. They are doing things, they are coping, they are surviving the way they believe they should survive, and there's nothing I can do about it. So I could visit them and then come home and then be upset about the way they're living their life and be upset that they'll probably die. I mean, I really do believe that's probably what will happen, is that this person will probably die from a drug overdose or just a long-term use of certain drugs. And that scares me. I don't want it to happen. But I also have to disconnect from it because I have to live my life. Otherwise, what is my life? Is it just about worrying about other people or is it about living my life and doing the best I can and being there for them if they ever need me, not in an enabling way, but in a way where they genuinely want help and they're genuinely willing to take the big steps that are necessary, not just make promises that they can't keep, but actually uh, doing things that are clearly big steps for them. We all know what those are, the big steps. Like, you know what? I'm going to go uh, to a rehab center for 12 weeks. They're going to lock me away. I won't have a car and I won't have a phone. I have to be there. I mean, those are big steps. Some people are willing to do that and some people aren't. And so I know that there has to be a disconnect from me. Otherwise, I'll be crying about it every freaking day. Sorry. I, I will. I'll be crying about it every day because I won't be able to stop thinking about it. And sometimes we just have to accept that people are going to be who they are. We won't always agree with it. And they're making choices that we know are unhealthy for them. But we also have to know that's the path they've chosen. And if you want to be there for them when they need you, great. But until then, it's important that you live your life with self-love, self-compassion, self-care. And if you have to distance yourself from these people, then that's what you need to do. But also learn to disconnect. And I know that's a process too. How do I disconnect? How do I do that? It's important just to remember that you can love someone even though they're in a self-destructive space, um, yet you don't have to be sucked into their trauma or their drama or their inability to see what's hurting them, you don't have to get sucked into any of that. I mean, you can have a conversation. You can certainly do the intervention stuff. You know what? I'm afraid for you. I'm afraid if you continue down this path, you're going to die. You can have these conversations. But when you've had them and nothing happens and you've tried and tried and exhausted yourself trying, it's time to come back to who you are so that you can be the best version of yourself 
if and when they're ever ready, if they ever need you, you know, you need to be there for the people that you love when they need you. I mean, I'm not saying that that's what you absolutely need to do, but by continuing to work on yourself, improve on yourself, be compassionate towards yourself and give yourself to others that are receptive to your love and support. That's when you are doing the best you can for everyone, including the person that might be being destructive. So I don't know if I've addressed exactly what you're stressed about, but do know that it's okay to have a disconnect when you've tried everything. And do know that it's okay that some people are going to make decisions that you disagree with. And remember that some people are going to make decisions that you disagree with, and that's okay too. They may be very unhealthy decisions, but you're always better off being there for someone when they need you instead of injecting yourself into someone else's life and trying to be a part of the drama and the trauma when there's nothing you can do about it. And then you bring that home and now your family has to deal with someone else's drama and trauma. And we don't want that. I want you to, you to be healthy inside of you because when you show up as the best version of yourself in this world, then everyone around you benefits from that. The people that are receptive to your love and support greatly benefit from the best version of you. And if you're getting weighed down energetically and even physically and emotionally, then you are too exposed to an unhealthy situation that either you can't handle or aren't ready to handle or just don't want to handle. So remember that your self-love and self-care and self-honor, self-respect, self-compassion, all that self-stuff comes first no matter what because you have to be the fullest, best, healthiest version of yourself to help anyone. You can't be drained from situations like this. So again, I don't know if I answered your question, but I do know what you're saying it is difficult to see this stuff happen. But at the same time, when you're the best version of yourself, the rest of the world benefits. So don't let this one person be the vortex of all your attention and all your energy. Because that's what my stepfather did. I mean, that's what he does today. He shows up at family stuff and he is the vortex of everyone's energy, meaning we all get drained. I mean, not so much me anymore. When he shows up, I'm like, oh, great. <laughs> He's here, but I'm not going to let him drain my energy. He is not in control of me anymore. He is not in my life in that way anymore because I won't allow it. I love me too much to allow that. So unless he comes up to me and says, you know what? I'm sorry for everything I did and I want to change. Can you help me? I'll probably just be emotionally disconnected, emotionally detached because that is the healthiest thing for me and the people I love. I hope this helps. Thank you so much. We'll be right back and I'll get into that other topic I was talking about right after this. Talk about emotional resilience that we need nowadays. We got the COVID stuff going on, and now we have all these amazing people out there protesting for this absolutely atrocious thing that happened, you know, with the Minnesota police officers. And all this stuff can be very taxing on our nervous system and our emotional system. 
And so that's why I'm so grateful for services like BetterHelp. I mean, yes, I know that we all have our own thoughts and opinions on this, and some of us can go out there and take our anger and use it productively, and some of us don't know what to do with the emotions that we're experiencing. We don't know what to do with them. Or they're just overpowering us, like this world's going to hell in a handbag. I mean, that's terrible because it sometimes feels true. And when it feels true and we can't get rid of that feeling, we might have to go somewhere. We might have to talk to someone. And this is where BetterHelp comes in. BetterHelp is an online counseling service that is available through chat, through text, through phone call, through video call, all in a way to help make it convenient for you to connect with licensed professional counselors uh, to help you in a way that it works for you. It's a lot more affordable than traditional offline counseling and financial aid is available and they deal with all kinds of things, depression, stress, anxiety, anger, uh, sleeping and family conflicts, LGBT matters, and the list goes on and on. There's all kinds of specialists in there and um, when you join, you get to choose uh, what you want to talk about and you even get to choose your counselor they'll give you a list and when you connect with them they keep in touch and you keep in touch with them and you know I uh, part of my process for having sponsors on the show is that I vet them and what that means is that I use their service and I got to use their service for about two months and I got to talk to at least two or three different counselors because I was choosing different ones to find out if they are who they say they are and they absolutely were all upstanding they were all helpful and I had a lot of good things to say about them because I had a great experience. And I want to share their service with you on this show. And speaking of sharing, anything you share with them, of course, is confidential. So you may have a lot on your mind. You may have a lot going on in your life. And if you need someone to talk to or chat with, why not go this route? It's convenient. It's professional. It's affordable. And they've got, I don't know how many thousands of testimonials posted on their site daily and they really will help you get to the bottom of what's interfering with your happiness. So I highly, highly recommend BetterHelp. That's H-E-L-P. BetterHelp.com forward slash brain. And join over 800,000 people that decided to take charge of their mental health. That's BetterHelp.com forward slash brain. And when you go to that URL, you'll get 10% uh, off your first month. BetterHelp, H-E-L-P.com forward slash brain. Get 10% off your first month today. Welcome back. Like I said, I'm going to go over another topic here that may not be related to the first one, but I'm going to tie it together. This topic is about, um, it's an email that I got. I'm not going to read you the email, but it's about someone who doesn't know what love is, doesn't know if they know what love is, doesn't know if they've experienced what love is. And it's a real struggle. And he asks, is this some kind of emotional disease? That's an interesting term. Or is it just a matter of letting life happen and finding the right relationship? I feel like I'm alone in the world and nobody really understands me and I will never be able to love someone deeply and truly which causes me deep sadness. And so there's a lot going on in this email. Like I said, I'm not going to read it, but it, there's just a lot going on. And it's, it's very difficult when you feel completely isolated and you're not sure what to do. And you don't even know if you, you're experiencing love. 
So we know there's a way that love is portrayed in movies. And we think, oh, a lot of us think, I want that kind of love. I want that in my life. That's what I want to feel. But we have to be really careful when we compare the love we see in movies and the love we read in novels. And remember that these are very sensationalized, often very sensationalized moments of love or relationships. I'm not saying that there aren't relationships like this, but love often plays on what we might look at as novelty in the brain, meaning the first couple months of a relationship are very novel to the brain. They're very new. And when they're new, our brain is experiencing things that it hasn't experienced from this person with these qualities, with this body, with this mind. Our mind, our emotions are experiencing all this new stuff. Like jumping out of an airplane, if you've never done that, then your body is going to experience all this visceral stuff that it's never experienced before. It's going to be a new experience. It's going to be memorable. It's going to have an impact. This is what happens in the beginning of a relationship. There's often this falling in love feeling, and that is really, I mean, there's all kinds of things going on. There's chemicals and emotions and the connection and all that, but the newness has an impact. And when the newness wears off, that's when we settle down. That's when the honeymoon period is over and or at least dying down a little bit. And we are no longer experiencing new things. Our brain is creating patterns and remembering what it was like before. And it's no longer new. So it becomes more regular and maybe comfortable. Our brain gets comfortable with these patterns. But, uh, you know, there's a lot of science here and I'm not going to get into it. But the idea behind love, in my opinion, is that when you are with someone new, you're more likely to experience this novelty of all this new stuff. And it's going to make an impact which heightens all the qualities that make up what you might call love. So I'm not saying there isn't love. I'm saying that you have all these components of what feels good. You feel good being with this person. They feel good being with you. You feel good experiencing things with this person, sharing things with this person, being vulnerable with this person. You can go to the extremes of being your worst self and your best self. And it feels good that someone is still there accepting you. So there's a lot involved when it comes to falling in love, being in love, and of course, staying in love. And I know I'm oversimplifying this, but uh, I wanted to address at least part of this, which is the novelty of it. And if it's a novelty to the brain, then we're more likely to have be impacted by it and have a good feeling about it. And it's going to be expressed inside of ourselves and outside of ourselves, uh, probably as love. I love that. I love skydiving, if you did. I love going on a roller coaster. I love being with that person because he or she makes me laugh. I love all this stuff. So when you have all these things that you love, you can call it love. It feels like love. I'm not saying that's your answer, the person who wrote. I'm just saying if we were to look at love as when something happens that makes you feel good and makes you say, well, I love this, I love that, then you probably have a lot of components that make up love. Now, the reason I say all that is because this person maybe doesn't know what love is or how to experience love. And if you listen to my other episodes, I talk about love in a way where when you feel that your happiness, your journey, 
is supported and even encouraged, then you are experiencing love. You know, my definition of love is when someone supports your happiness or your path, your journey to happiness. And what does that mean? That means if I want to go play in a rock band every night, the person that I'm with will love and support me doing that. And if I'm being supported doing that, then I really feel loved. Now, the relationship may not last. <laughs> Let's be honest here. If I'm out every night at a rock, I mean, I don't really play rock and roll, but if I'm out every, every night with a band and we're playing rock and roll every night and, we come, and I come home late at two in the morning every night, then the relationship may not last. It might, maybe she's a roadie or she's a musician too, which my girlfriend is a musician, but neither one of us go out and gig. Uh, but some relationships won't be able to handle that. So the relationship can still contain love, meaning the person I'm with can love me and support me doing what I love to do, but the relationship may not last and we may separate, but it doesn't mean she doesn't love me and support what I'm doing. It just means that I probably love it so much that I'm choosing that over being with this person. So that can come into play too. And when it does, again, the relationship may not last. But I look at love as someone supporting your path to happiness. And they encourage you to continue doing what you love. And when someone encourages you to continue doing what you love, and they don't give you grief about it, they're not judgmental about it, they're not opinionated about it, then you feel cared for. You feel cared about. And if you feel cared about by someone who will basically let you do anything you want, I mean within relationship boundaries and parameters, then you want to be with that person more. So if I was going out every night and my girlfriend said, I love you so much, you could do anything you want, go out every night, if that makes you happy, I'd be like, wow, thank you so much. But after a couple of weeks, I'd probably be like, well, I really feel guilty for going out every night. In fact, I miss my girlfriend. So I'm going to start taking a few nights off and come home. That's what I would do. I mean, I believe I would if I was doing that. Because I'm going to realize that she really is sacrificing our time together so that I can be happy. And because of that, I'm going to feel empathy. Where I'm going to feel what she's feeling if I were her. What would I feel if she did that to me? That would hurt. I wouldn't like that. So I'm going to have this little guilt feeling. Not that guilt has to be a part of it, but I'm thinking about my own process. I'm going to have this guilty feeling come up. And I'm going to think, you know, I need to spend more time at home. Not because I'm guilting myself into it, but because I feel really loved and I want to be with this person. And by not being with that person and having fun playing in a band every night, it's really taking away the experiences that I want to have in life. Because what does it come down to? It's just nice to be loved. It's just nice to be supported. It's nice to be cared for. So why would I want to waste all my time not being with someone who does that for me? And so this is all part of love in the way I see it. And this may not help the person who wrote the email because maybe they're not in a relationship right now. But if you want to know what love is, this is how you also treat yourself. For example, if you think about what makes you happy, how can you support that path to your own happiness? Now, if your answer is, well, someone else being in my life makes me happy. That's a good, fair answer. And I agree when someone else is in your life and they are supportive and they love you and they want you to be happy, of course, then that feels good and you want more of that. 
because having someone in your life gives you an opportunity to share experiences and go out and be with each other and have the bonding and you know the physical and emotional bonding all that stuff is wonderful with the right person but what do you do when this like this person who wrote to me there I don't know what love is like well I like to look at it this way for people who don't know what love is supposed to feel like just imagine someone coming into your life and saying you know what you can do anything you want to do anything and I won't have a problem with it I just want you to be happy I just want you to have a fulfilling life I want you to follow your dreams that's how much I care about you and that's how important it is to me for you to be happy I want you to be able to follow your dreams whether I'm in your life or not how does that feel if I say that think about this for a moment and really experience this I want you to follow your dreams you know what if you want to quit your job I support that because I love you if you want to travel I support that because I love you if you want to dance in the middle of the day if you want to put your headphones and dance in the middle of the day I support that you can do anything you want because I love you when you try that on there might be some sense of yeah that sounds like a fantasy that sounds unreal but just try it on if as if it were real there's no restriction there's no judgment there's no control there's nobody that wants you to do what they want you to do there's somebody there saying you know what you can do and be and have anything you want and I'll support it again it may not sound realistic but when you try it on it feels pretty good like if that was the experience that would be amazing I think that's as close to unconditional love as you can get when somebody is that supportive now again you may not be able to do all these things and keep a relationship and this is where it gets a little tricky because you want to be able to support someone but if they decide that they want to put a jacuzzi in the middle of the living room <laughs> because you love them and you want them to do anything they want uh, can you still love them even though they're doing behavior that you may not agree with and this is how I tie this into the last segment can we still love people that are doing things that we don't agree with that may be against our values maybe we think it's toxic or unhealthy behavior can we still love them the answer is yes but you don't have to and it doesn't mean you have to be around the person it doesn't mean you have to be with the person at all it just means that you might have to love them from afar you might have to love them while honoring yourself and this is what happens often is that when you choose to love someone while honoring yourself that is the best form of love in any relationship because what you're doing is saying you can do what you want to do but I can't be around when you do that and that does sound a little uh, hurtful or confrontational but hopefully you have a conversation about it where you say look you want to build a jacuzzi in the middle of the living room it's not really conducive to guests and plus I'm worried about the TV being so close to the water and uh, I just don't think it's a good idea can we talk about this if the other person says no this is what I want because I should be able to do anything I want then guess what the other person isn't following the rules of love 
And when you love someone, you support their happiness. And if you have a problem with building a jacuzzi in the middle of the living room and they don't care how you feel about it and they're going to go forward with it anyway, then love isn't happening. Love is supporting the other person's happiness, not letting them do whatever they want at the cost of your happiness. So if the other person wants to build that jacuzzi in this example and you're going to be unhappy about it and they know you're unhappy about it because you expressed it, then the reciprocation's not there. The love's not there. So this is how I look at love in relationships, is that you support someone else's path to happiness. You support their journey. You encourage their recreation, their hobbies, uh, their friendships, anything they want in their life. But they also do the same for you. So if they brought home a friend and you didn't like this friend, and every time you were around this friend it made you uncomfortable or nervous, they're going to want you to be happy and probably not bring that friend home anymore and probably even reconsider the friendship because it's affecting their relationship. I'm not saying that you should do this. I'm not saying that you should eliminate your friends that your partner doesn't like. That's not the point. The point is you look at what does make your partner happy and you ask yourself, can I meet them there? Can I meet them there? Because like I said, some relationships don't survive this reciprocal love thing because they may not be able to love back because it's outside their values or maybe even outside their morals. You have to get into a supportive space, a non-judgmental, non-controlling uh, space that allows the other person to be who they are so that there's so few restrictions that they will be compelled to want to be with you more. It's really the secret to every relationship. Anyone that's listening right now, that's the secret. There's no controlling the other person. There's no convincing the other person that they need to do what you want them to do. There's no wanting the other person to change. It's really just wanting them to be happy. And you encourage what makes them happy. Even if you aren't involved in what makes them happy. And yes, that can sometimes mean that you are no longer together. And that's the scariest part of love, is that we can support someone else's decisions when their decisions may not include us. And it could mean breaking up. It could mean never seeing each other again because that's their choice. That's love. And it's also scary as hell. It's very scary because you, you fight your own demons. You fight your own fears. Well, I don't want them to leave me. What if I support them and they leave me? Well, if you're really supporting them in all the ways I'm talking about, they won't want to leave you. They will want to be with you for the rest of their lives because people don't want to feel restricted. They want to feel free. They want to feel like they are still an individual. They want to feel like they're independent, like they can still have their own thoughts. They can still make up their own mind. That doesn't mean you don't make decisions together. I mean, you talk about these things. You support each other's happiness. You support each other's paths and you listen to each other. And yes, you're going to argue. <laughs> yes, they're going to be heated debates. But the bigger picture is you still want the other person to be happy. And the details of the debate, the details of the argument, they're either going to be resolved on their own because the bigger picture is you want to be together and the love and connection is more important. Or the details would get in the way and then you'll have to come to some sort of agreement to disagree and still love each other. Or, again, you might have to separate. You might have to go your own way. And then hopefully you can look at that person and go, you know what? 
I love you and I support you and the path you're on, but I can't be on that same path. And I know we're not going to meet in the middle and I know we're going to continue to disagree and it hurts me. It pains me. I don't want this to happen. I wish you thought differently, but I can't be on that path because it's not right for me. This is loving someone while honoring yourself. So to this person who wrote the email, if you want to really know what love is, just imagine someone letting you be you. Just imagine that. I mean, that feels loving. That feels amazing. I mean, I think anyone would love that. And of course, that's the ideal. I know we all have our issues. We all have challenges and we all disagree at some point. So even though it's the perfect formula, in my belief, it's not necessarily going to happen, but it gives you something to strive toward. It gives you a beacon that you're moving toward all the time. And when you have that beacon that you can see and you're always moving toward it, like a lighthouse in the ocean, then it's always that fallback. It's always that bigger picture, your foundation, where you can take a step back out of the heated discussion and say, you know what, the bigger picture is, I just want you to be happy. And if that's in there, then the details don't matter as much, unless they do. There are some details that matter so much that you can't meet in the middle, that you can't align values and you have to move on. But you just have to be in the space to allow someone to have those values, to allow someone to have beliefs, to allow someone to have all these thoughts and ideas and opinions that you may or may not agree with, still love them. And if you can't, you love them enough to let them be. Either way, it's loving them enough to let them be. So I hope this helps define love, at least in the way I see it and the way I do it in my own life and sometimes fail. <laughs> Often I succeed, I believe, but no one is infallible, infallible, infallible. <laughs> no one is uh, impervious to the difficulties that occur with different personalities. But when you think about yourself and feel yourself in that space of total acceptance, that is love. And if you feel good in that space and you're like, well, it doesn't feel like love should be, um, then you're probably not feeling totally accepted and supported. You're probably introducing some other variable in there. Like, yeah, but that's not true. That might be another variable. Or, yeah, but my dad doesn't love me like that. Or my mom doesn't love me like that. Well, you can't use any comparisons because I don't think anyone's ever achieved this. <laughs> Maybe the Dalai Lama. You know, I don't know if anyone's ever achieved this unconditional state of love and support and um, never getting emotionally triggered by the other person and never putting the other person down or never being offended by something that the other person did. Uh, and if you have achieved it, congratulations, kudos to you. You're a unique person and you definitely have qualities that I admire. But if you haven't reached that, like me, haven't reached it, but as long as you're trying every day, it shows and the other person can feel it. This is love to me. I hope this helps. Thank you so much for writing. We'll be right back with my thank yous and goodbyes after this. Thank you for listening to another episode of The Overwhelmed Brain. I want to remind you to go to betterhelp.com forward slash brain and get 10% off your first month today. I also want to thank a couple people that left reviews for the show. 
Uh, someone wrote this. This is funny. <laughs> someone, I mean, this is their review. Someone gave one star. They're talking about someone who reviewed my show because they thought the host spoke too fast. I disagree completely, but I can understand how someone else can perceive the host as a fast speaker. English is not my first language, but I have no issues following him. <laughs> okay, that was from a Stratosfera PLM 1001. Uh, I want to thank you for that review. It's funny to me because um, I like how one reviewer talks about another reviewer. <laughs> and it just makes me laugh because, yes, I got a one star once because the person said, this host speaks too fast. I wish he would speak slower. But they were also complimenting the show. They liked the show. But they only left one star. So that made me laugh. And I just want to thank this person for writing that. And uh, I appreciate that. Thank you for your support. That's very unconditionally loving of you. <laughs> Another person wrote, uh, helped me through so many tough times. Paul, you are amazing. You've helped me through breakups when I thought I was so alone and down and out. Thank you for giving guidance and being so honest and genuine. Your voice is also very soothing. Oh, thank you. This is from Becky K. And uh, Becky, I appreciate you. Is it Becky? Yeah. Becky, I appreciate you. Thank you so much for those words. I am uh, humbled. <laughs> My voice being soothing, I think, helps a lot of people go to sleep, so they probably don't hear most of the show. So <laughs> I'm glad that it's soothing, and I'm glad that the show is helpful. And um, uh, maybe that's why people listen twice. They fall asleep, and then they have to tune in again. So thank you again. Thank you to anyone that reviews the show. If I see the review, I will certainly read it on the air. I don't get to see them all right away, but um, eventually I do. And I want to thank Bill, who donated to the show. Bill, thank you so much. Bill listened to a few episodes and really resonated with a lot that I've said. And he said, you know, you don't have to mention me on the show. Uh, and I am. I, I, I am so grateful. You definitely deserve a mention on the show because it really makes me feel so wonderful that um, people are getting value from the show and giving back I mean, not everyone has the funds to give back and that's totally fine so when somebody does it's a big surprise to me and i am so shocked that i just have to mention it on the air so thank you bill i appreciate that i am very grateful i also want to thank the patrons of the week these are people that have been subscribed to the patron program and offer their monetary support uh, Crystal, wow, Christy, wow, I mean, these are all wows because I know these names, I see them over and over again, uh, another Christy, different spelling, uh, Larita, hey, you're a new member, Larita, good to have you here, thank you so much for your support, Callie, oh yes, Henry, Julia, Anna, I know all of you people, I've seen your names over and over again, I recognize them, um, I get an email every time someone renews their uh, monthly subscription, or is on automatic subscription, so that I never forget their names. Meaning, if somebody goes on an automatic subscription in the patron program, um, I want to make sure that I am continually reminded that they are a subscriber and they are supporting the show and not just have it in the background. Like I get an email every single day with um, someone's name that is still supporting the show and I make sure to take a moment to reflect and feel grateful for that person and not just let my emails go into some folder and never see their name and just let things be without knowing that there are actual people doing this. And I am so grateful. 
So thank you, Crystal and Christy and Christy and Larita and Callie and Henry and Julia and Anna. I appreciate you. And anyone who wants to support the show, you can head over to patron.theoverwhelmedbrain.com and you can be either a monthly supporter or a single-time donation, whatever you'd like to do. And of course, when you're in the patron program, I give back as well. There are private episodes, private workbooks and worksheets, discounts on my products and my coaching, and uh, all kinds of things going on in there, and a video archive, and it's just a, a, a resource library in there in case anyone's looking for more than what I'm doing in uh, the show and on my website. So check it out, patron.theoverwhelmedbrain.com, and I appreciate all patron members. If you haven't heard your name yet, you will soon. Thank you for your support. And let me just give a quick plug for my other podcast, Love and Abuse. If you're experiencing any difficult relationship and you really want to know what this love thing is, head over to loveandabuse.com. And that's where I talk about how to get through and deal with and communicate with people when you're in a difficult relationship. Loveandabuse.com. And finally, I'd like to thank Kevin McLeod of Incompetech.com for some of the music transitions in the overwhelmed brain. And to close the show, I covered the topic of enabling uh, early on in the episode. And um, I think it's an important topic because we can do this to anyone in our life in any situation. And I see this a lot. I see it a whole lot in difficult relationships. Some toxic, some emotionally abusive, or just generally difficult. And when I see it, it's often highlighted by the lack of accountability. In fact, enabling can't be enabling without a lack of accountability. And what that means is someone does something or says something that you don't like, and instead of saying, hey, if you do that again, there will be this consequence, instead of saying that, you instead give them a dirty look. Or you close off, you go silent. Or you hope that they see that you're sad and by seeing that you're sad, it'll either guilt them into not doing it again or just make them feel bad so that they realize, oh, doing that behavior makes them sad. I better not do that again. Um, that doesn't work always. <laughs> that sometimes actually backfires on you because when you give the dirty look or try to look sad or try to make them feel guilty, when you're trying to make them see that they're hurting you in some way or doing something that offends you or makes you feel bad in some way and you're not being direct you're not saying hey when you do this it really hurts me if you're not saying anything like that and you're trying to be very passive about it the behavior is likely to repeat and what you're really doing might be seen as enabling behavior that you don't like and so this topic of enabling goes far beyond someone that's addicted or doing something toxic it could be something simple. So it's important that when you're in any type of relationship and someone's doing something that definitely offends you or hurts you or you just don't like, that you bring it up. And if it's very offensive or something against you and you don't say, hey, look, when you do that, that's a problem for me. I don't like it. Please don't do it again. And they do it again. Uh, you know, Maybe it's a three-strike rule for you. Typically, it, that would be a good way to look at it. So they do the behavior again and you say, look, I told you not to do that before. If you do it one more time, uh, X is going to happen. You know, I'm not going to call you uh, for a month or I'm going to stay at my sister's for a month or whatever it is. If that happens again, there will be a consequence. 
And when you do that, if it happens again, you have to administer the consequence. You have to make them accountable. Otherwise, you may, uh, hate to say, may be enabling their behavior because someone who gets away with it will do it again. Someone who gets away with it and doesn't care enough that you're hurt or feel disrespected or isn't bright enough to catch that you're hurting or sad. Maybe they're not bright enough to see it. Maybe they need a direct verbal punch, (laughs) meaning you just say, hey, look, don't do that. It makes me sad or it makes me upset or it feels hurtful. Don't do that again. Maybe they need that. Let me tell you a quick story. When I first moved in with my girlfriend, we had a situation that came up that uh, she was hurt by something I was doing that I didn't even know was hurtful and I didn't even know I was doing anything wrong. But what she would do is be silent, you know, give me the silent treatment, not even look at me, uh, have very basic conversation with me, not connect with me. There were all kinds of ways that she wasn't bonding that I wanted and uh, she wasn't connecting with me that I thought people should connect. And this went on for six months. And I finally got it. I finally said, you know, I better follow my own advice here and ask her what the heck is going on. And she's like, nothing. I'm like, what do you mean nothing? I walk in the door. You don't look at me. I want to kiss you. You don't want to kiss me or it's automatic. I want to hold your hand and it it feels like I'm just uh, a friend or something. You know, there was a lack of connection and we weren't bonding at all. And I wanted to know. And she was telling me nothing's wrong. But I finally got it out of her. And she said, you know, when you are doing this, you said you wouldn't do that. And you said you would do it this way, but now you're doing it this way. I'm not going to tell you what it was. And uh, because you're not doing it, it makes me, it makes me angry. I was like, that's what this is about this whole time. That's what this is about. I wish I had known. Why didn't you tell me? She goes, well, I didn't want to upset you. And I didn't want to get into that conversation. I was like, I would rather have you upset me. I would rather have you get angry with me and say, you better stop this right now. I would want that instead of six months of silence or disconnect and not knowing where the heck you are with all this. I would rather have you just be upset with me so that we can talk about it. It's on the table and we can get it out of the way. She goes, you would? (laughs) And I said, yes, I would, because we're going to be able to resolve it a lot faster. And she goes, well, uh, okay, are you sure? I was like, yes, of course I'm sure. And she goes, okay. And she wasn't used to doing that. She wasn't used to being direct like that. I mean, she's a direct person, don't get me wrong. But when it comes to certain affairs of the heart, and she cared a lot about me, she cared about my feelings, and she didn't want to you know, drive me away emotionally, even though she was doing that inadvertently, subconsciously, because here I was trying to connect. On and on, we had the conversation, and she finally said, okay, yeah, okay, I'll, I'll do that. I'll, I'll do my best. And so, you know, fast forward, I don't know how many months, uh, something happened again. And she said, well, I have something to talk about. I was like, okay. She goes, you know, when you said, you know, I should just be angry and just be upset and don't worry about angering you if you're doing something that I don't like. I said, yeah. I mean, what's going on? Yes. And she told me, and I was like, oh, really? Oh, my God, I'm so sorry. You know, she said something that I was doing that I didn't know what I was doing, but it was starting to bother her, and she shared it. We got it on the table. We got to talk about it, 
and it was done within, I don't know, 30 minutes or even less, 20 minutes. We were done. 20 minutes compared to six months. I'm not trying to put her down for that. I'm saying in 20 minutes we were done. And it wasn't a six-month wait this time. It wasn't six months of pain and suffering, if I may use that term. It was 20 minutes. And the heat rose, and then it cooled down. And then we were able to move on with a new understanding and a support for each other's happiness. And we were done. It didn't go past 20 minutes, and it was resolved. This is how you can disable a bad situation. You know, we have enabling a bad situation, which is never really addressing it directly and never providing a consequence or never making them accountable. That's kind of how we enable things. But we can disable it by saying, you know what, this is a problem. Let's talk about it because I can't stand it and it needs to be discussed. Um, It may not go that way. It may be a little gentler. But pretty much when you bring it out into the open, put it on the table, now you have something to discuss. Now it has to be discussed. Now there's no, uh, excuse the term, pussyfooting. You don't have to tiptoe around the subject or hope that the other person sees that you're upset. We want to try to avoid that. I know there are times when doing that might be an option. I I don't want to take that away from you. But just remember that more times than not, it's much better to be direct because you might be in a situation like I was where because she wasn't direct, I was just too dense at the time to see that she was hurting, that she was feeling disrespected. She even felt that I wasn't living up to my agreement or arrangement or something like that. And when we talked about it, it was a misunderstanding and we were able to resolve it very quickly. So it might be hard to talk about certain things, but it's a lot easier than going through days, weeks, or months of hoping someone will see that they're doing something that is harmful or making you feel bad. Uh, And, you know, you find out where they are because the person who loves you and supports your happiness doesn't want to make you feel bad. They want you to be happy. So you find out just how much they care and support you and support your happiness. And you find out if they're going to be the person that you hope they are. You never find out sometimes when you're not direct or you don't ask. You do sometimes have to bring up the tough stuff and have the hard conversations so that you can know where you stand with them and how they feel about you truly so that you can get past the moment and figure out if the relationship or the connection that you have with this person is going to last. Because sometimes you'll find out a truth that you don't like. Sometimes you will be direct with someone and they'll say, I don't care. I don't care if you feel bad then you have to question if that's the right type of connection or relationship that you want in your life. So sometimes it can be tough, and I understand that. So thanks for joining me today. Thank you for staying a few extra minutes, or quite a lot of extra minutes maybe. And uh, I appreciate you. I hope you're getting through all the challenges in the world today and that you are taking care of yourself and that you, as always, are keeping an open mind because this is how you step into your power and that helps you be firm in your decisions and actions. Always take steps to grow and evolve. You are powerful beyond measure. And above all, and this is something I absolutely know to be true about you, you are amazing. (laughs) 